The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments. Not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Hi, this is Dave Zirin from Edge of Sports. If you want to stay on the cutting edge of the cultural conversation, you need to subscribe to the nation's newest newsletter, Books in the Arts. With this newsletter, you'll receive a curated selection of the nation's latest cultural criticism, along with a short essay exclusively for newsletter subscribers written by the Books in the Arts editors themselves. Don't worry, we won't clog your inbox. This world of books, art, music, film, and more will be delivered to your inbox every two weeks. It's something worth looking forward to. Subscribe to this thought-provoking, agenda-setting newsletter at thenation.com slash book newsletter. That's thenation.com slash book newsletter. All one word. Subscribe today. Rest in power, DMX. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week we are talking to a baseball legend, the one and only should be a Hall of Famer, the Cobra, Dave Parker. He was an MVP, he was a two-time batting champ, he was the first million-dollar athlete, and he was a critical cog to the 1979 Pittsburgh Pirates We Are Family World Series champions. He's also the co-author, along with Dave Jordan, of a new book called Cobra, a life of baseball and brotherhood. It's a big, beautiful book worthy of Dave Parker. Folks should check it out. Also, I have some choice words about the last time there was a push for Major League Baseball to move the All-Star game. I have Just Stand Up and Just Sit Down awards and more. But first, the Cobra himself, Dave Parker. Cool. So, um, Mr. Parker, I'll just start out by saying I read your book. I thought it was so wonderful. It was incredibly honest. Why did you decide to write a book at this point? Well, I've been trying to write it for 40 years. Uh, I was trying to write a book when I first came in the league and started having uh, some success. So uh, it's been something for been in the making for a long time. So I'm just finally getting it out. Mm. This is kind of an odd question, but what was it like to be you, Dave Parker, in the 1970s? Was it was it awesome? It was fun. I was the best player in baseball from 75 to 80. And uh, reaping the benefits of that was a lot of fun. Mm. It seems so special, those Pittsburgh Pirate teams, the We Are Family teams. What made those teams so special? Well, we had good personnel. 
we cared about each other. Uh, I wrote about relationships. We had some tremendous relationships amongst uh, our, our personnel, and it was uh, something that was unique. Mm. Are, and on the team itself, was it the sort of thing where there were um, th- there were cliques, there were groups of friends, or did everybody w- get along with each other? Everybody got along. We used to go to dinner as a, a group. We'd play a game in Chicago, get out uh, at the end of the game, and we'd have 15 guys go to one restaurant, and uh, it was just a, a family. That's what it was, a family. That's what they portrayed us as being, and that's what we were. Are, are you still close to any of the fellas from those teams? Yeah. Uh, we lost a lot of them. John Milner died. Bill Robinson died. Uh, Grant Jackson. So we lost uh, quite a few of them, but we were um, a team that stuck together. We would call each other in off season, call each other around Christmas. But it, it, it was a, a great thing to be a part of. Mm. Now you're, you're you're an icon, of course. You're the Cobra, Dave Parker. You also had close relationships with three icons in particular, and I'd love to say their names to you in the hope that you'll speak about your relationships with them. I mean, first and foremost, the legend, Roberto Clemente. What what comes to your mind when I say Roberto Clemente? The great one. He was uh, a great player. He was a 5-2 player. Uh, He helped people uh, on the team. He helped people in different countries, tragedies. He was always there for it, and uh, he helped me enormously. I, I signed as a catcher, and I short on the ball. I wasn't getting the maximum velocity out of my throws, and uh, he worked with me during spring training and uh, improved my throws. I had a good arm, but I increased it by about 20 miles an hour, and uh, Roberto did that for me. Wow. What do you remember about that night in 1972 when his plane went down as he was trying to bring humanitarian to Nicaragua? Well, I think everybody that ever came in contact with him was uh, sad because um, he did so many great things. Uh, the world was was sad, and the world lost a great individual. Mm. Another name for you, uh, Willie Stargell. Well, Willie was a guy that took me on the wing and uh, showed me what to do to be a a great major leaguer. He uh, worked with my hitting, uh, took me around to... uh, spring training sites and taught me individually what what I was doing at the plate. Uh, He was just a great guy. And 
I loved him dearly. Now, uh, the other name I, I got to ask you about is Pete Rose. Uh, what I mean, you're so tied to the city of Cincinnati. You were so great on those Reds teams. What What's your connection to Pete Rose? Well, it was a thrill, you know, playing for Pete. And uh, it was a thrill playing with him. And uh, we uh, had this thing about being from Cincinnati and playing a Cincinnati-style baseball, which was one where you hustled all the time and you had collisions at home plate. And then me and Pete played similar style of baseball. And uh, it was fun playing with him. And it was great to be on the field when he broke the record. Mm. Yeah, what, what, I mean, that must have been just a remarkable moment. He got that single off of Eric Shaw. Uh, into left field. I mean, is is that one of those things you can remember like it was yesterday? Yeah, I made it my business to be there, you know, for the the hit. Mm-hmm. I was on deck when he got the hit. He he hit second in the lineup, and uh, he got a a lot of fastballs because they a rather pitch to Pete than pitch to me. Mm-hmm. And, so that was uh, a big thrill for me. What about uh, Marge Schott, uh, former owner of the Reds? What, what do you remember about Marge Schott? She was uh, a product of her environment. She was uh, a racist. And uh, she made it known. Mm-hmm. She had stickers on a table in a house and uh, she verbally uh, categorized me and Eric Davis's million dollar ends so uh, she was a racist mm. I have someone who listens to this show who is a lifelong fr- uh, fan of Eric Davis when you saw young Eric Davis on the field did his talent just pop off like, were you aware when you first saw Eric Davis how talented he was? Yeah, he reminded me of Willie Mays. He had a world-class speed, uh, had a great throwing on, uh, hit for average, hit for power, uh, steal bases. Uh, he did everything. Mm. Did You know, that, that team on the Pirates that you had was, was such a center of incredible black American talent on that team in a way you don't really see in baseball anymore. Were you guys aware that you were something special on that team, that you had that amount of, of, of talent and you were like part of a community? Were were you aware, were people aware of that? And did you talk about that? Well, people, we were probably the most liked team in baseball. People loved that pirate team. Uh, We were flamboyant. Uh, in our style of play, uh, we uh, had guys that was unique. Doc Ellis mm. was a very unique guy. Manny Sangin, he carried some uniqueness. We had seven black players on the on our roster, and we started nine. Black players, first time ever. 
amazing. And the players talked about that. They knew how significant that was. Yeah, they, they had made history. Joe Brown got some letters com- from people complaining about being black players, you know, nine black players on the field at one time. And Joe Brown replied that I make the lineup out because of the ability of the player, not because of its color. Mm. What, what, what do you think of today's baseball? Are, are you still a fan of the game? It's wearing on me. It takes too long to play. Everything is three and a half to four hours. They got to speed it up. You know, I think we're losing some of the fans because of the long time it takes to play the game. They need to find out some way to speed the game up a little bit. Yeah, why is it so much longer now, or why does it feel so much longer now than it did when you were playing? Well, guys are trying to hit a home run every time they go to the plate. Pitchers take a longer time to to deliver the ball. Uh, They don't hit and run. Everybody's playing long ball, which is taking – more time to do. Yeah. What, um, you know, baseball just made a, a, a very interesting move. They, they moved the all-star game out of Atlanta to, to Denver. Uh, what, what was your, did you have an opinion about that? I mean, it seemed like they were, they were taking a stand for voting rights uh, in Georgia. But what do you think about baseball taking these kinds of political stands? Well, basketball had a, a lot of success taking political stands and somebody got to do it because um, we had a, a president that did what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You had to have somebody to monitor uh, their movements and uh, taking away voting rights is something that you got to take a stand on because mm-hmm. it affects the world. It affects uh, the United States, the way we operate. So uh, taking a stand is something they, they had to do. Yeah. Does, does it give you uh, joy to see this new generation of more political athletes that we're seeing today? Yeah, because uh, guys get in position, get comfortable, and don't think about nobody but themselves. Mm. I always spoke out. Um, because I, I didn't mind. I, I uh, had ability, and I didn't mind displaying my political views. What was a big influence on you in terms of becoming a political person? Was it, uh, was it your family? Was it maybe something you read? Was it a friend? How, how did you become politically conscious? Well, just growing up, my mother and father telling me I could be anything I wanted to be. And uh, I uh, took that and put it with my baseball ability and being the best player on every team that I'd been on, Mm -hmm. uh, I had, uh, I was the one that could do it. To mm. step up to the plate, 
and I uh, always did. So you're saying it's because you were so good that it gave you space to speak out when maybe a player who wasn't as good could have gotten in trouble for doing it. Right. I had more, more of a platform to, uh, to do those things. I have to say, um, you were such a, a generationally terrific player. Why, why isn't Dave Parker in the Baseball Hall of Fame? Well, there's something that you had to ask the writers. Because <laughs> uh, I, I did everything you could do. Two batting titles, MVP, back-to-back DHs of the year, three silver sluggers, you know, I uh, did everything you could do. So that's something that you had to go to the writers on. Yeah, I think I will. Because also, you should have been MVP in 1985. I'll always believe that. Right. I did everything you could do. 34 home runs, uh, 125 ribbons, uh, led the, the lead and slugging percentage. You know, that's some people can get in the Hall of Fame on that year alone. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. Um, you know, your team was such a, a tremendous, we talked about this, center of uh, black American talent. How do you think we can rebuild that bridge between the black community and Major League Baseball? Because it's not nearly what it was, of course, in the 1970s and 80s. Well, in the 70s, um, we uh, had eight black guys on our squad alone. And uh, it was more black players throughout base uh, throughout baseball. I think we're 8% now. Mm-hmm. And uh, that ain't enough to, to sustain black players in the league. So we got to do something about it. I think they should go back to drafting from the high school uh, more. They're doing mostly college drafts now. There's very few high school players coming out of high school going into the professional ranks. So I think opening up to uh, the high school player will increase the the popularity of the game. Mm. And, you know, I think your fans – I'm telling everybody out there they have to read your book, uh, Cobra, A Life of Baseball and Brotherhood. It's such a good book. Um, it raises the question, though, that I wanted to ask you. How are you doing today, Mr. Parker? I think everybody wants to know. Well, I'm, I'm doing good. I got Parkinson. I got to deal with it every day. Every day I wake up, I got a, a new adventure because Parkinson is uh, something that comes and goes. I have one day where I'm walking good, able to work out, and the next day uh, I'm barely getting around. But uh, it's the hand that was dealt, and I got to play it. So uh, I'm just dealing with it as it comes. And you have a good support system? Yeah, I got my wife. She... uh, She's been the rock for me. So uh, mm. I got her and got my grandchildren to, to deal with. So I'm 
I got a good foundation. God bless. Um, you know, before, before I let you go and you've been so generous with your time, something I always ask folks on my show is what kind of music they listen to. And I was really, really curious because, you, you know, you're, you're Dave Parker. And I was like, what kind of music does Dave Parker listen to? Slide the Family Stone. Mm-hmm. You caught me smiling again. <laughs> so uh, I like Sly. I like Frankie Beverly's Southern Girl. Southern Girl, don't you know? <laughs> Look at me and I dig you so. Mm. I didn't know you had a voice like that. I don't have a voice. I'm humoring you. <laughs> well, Dave Parker, you, thank you so much for your time. The book is called Cobra, A Life of Baseball and Brotherhood. Thank you again. Well, thank you for having me, and I appreciate you publicizing the book. Oh, it's, it's my joy. Have a great day, sir. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much to the legend, Dave Parker. And now I've got some choice words about Major League Baseball and the last time there was controversy about the All-Star Game. Okay, look, in 2021, we've all seen it. Major League Baseball has defied decades of entrenched conservatism within its ruling ranks and moved the 2021 All-Star Game from Atlanta, Georgia to Denver, Colorado. The GOP is still reeling from this decision, reduced to claiming, I kid thee not, that baseball is part of a global communist conspiracy. But the question that lingers is why? Why has baseball defied its own culture to make such a move? One way to understand it is to look back a decade ago, though to the last time there was a public push to move the All-Star game. Back then, all eyes were on Arizona. The state's governor, Jan Brewer, SB 1070, the paper's please bill into law on April 23rd, 2010. The law in its worst form would have not only given law enforcement the right to ask anyone for their immigration papers, it would have criminalized citizens who had any knowledge of undocumented people in the midst, but did not report them. It was brutal, it was ugly, and the sports world took note both on and off the field. In the National Basketball Association, the Phoenix Suns played a playoff game against the San Antonio Spurs on May 1st, a day of international solidarity, wearing shirts that read Los Suns. The game was accompanied by an immigrant rights march on the arena, as well as statements of political support for all by Suns players like Steve Nash and announcers like Charles Barkley. But it was in baseball that the sparks really flew. Fans and activists marched at stadiums around the country in late summer and fall of 2010, demanding that Major League Baseball move the 2011 All-Star Game out of Arizona. Banners were unfurled at stadiums. At Nationals Park, two people ran onto the field holding a banner that, as reported on ESPN, read, Bud Selig move All-Star Game, no SB 1070, while a picket went on outside the stadium's gates. Even a small group of players in the very conservative world of baseball spoke out. Given baseball's dependence on Latin American talent, many thought that Selig would buckle and move the game. Despite all the pressure, he did not. To state the obvious, 2021 is an entirely different ballgame. Before one picket could be announced, 
before players could meet and devise their own strategies, before the media could question everyone in the baseball world about whether the game should move, MLB decided on their own that it wasn't worth the headache and got the hell out. I spoke to three activists who worked in 2010 and 2011 to get the All-Star game moved. Here are their thoughts about what has changed. Enrique Morones, the San Diego Padres Vice President for Latino and International Marketing, from 1995 to 2001, is today the founder and executive director of Gente Unida, a nonprofit with the mission to defend human rights along the border. Marones believes that, quote, racism in baseball has a long history, but when it pertains to Latinos, we are often ignored. In general, Latino voices are just not respected, well beyond baseball. Just look at the lack of Latino leadership in industries overall. I watch the Today Show and there are no Latino anchors. When CNN talks about race, it's about black and white. Our voices and experience are ignored. I'm a huge supporter of Black Lives Matter, but I can see that when George Floyd was killed by four police officers in Minnesota, there were international marches. When Anastasio Hernandez was killed by 12 border enforcement officers, there was no national outrage. Morones argues that if we understand the marginalization of the Latinx community, then we can understand why some social justice calls get more traction than others, especially when one of the motors for change are the bottom line considerations of corporate America. When Washington played the Arizona Diamondbacks 11 years ago, Gustavo Andrade ran onto the Nationals Park field to protest SB 1070. My heart was filled with pride in all of us movement folks when I heard the All-Star Game was to be moved from Georgia, he told me. The progressive movement has come a long way since 2010. We have managed to, in just a few short years, organize a critical mass of the general public to take a stand for the welfare of black and brown people as we fight for our lives. So what's different today? Back in 2010, the very idea that sports and popular culture presented organizers with a vehicle to raise critical questions about the nature of our system was met with derision from short-sighted leaders in media, government, and even mainstream advocacy groups. Stick to sports and shut up and dribble were the consensus positions of the day. That consensus has radically changed since 2010, and we are better for it. However, the last decade's protest by athletes wasn't the key that changed public perception. It was the millions of people who marched, protested, and organized from Phoenix to Ferguson to Baltimore and everywhere in between over the last decade who have changed the world. Corporate America is now afraid of us. Let's show them their right to be scared. Another longtime activist who asked not to be named told me, it's a different world. We've had the Black Lives Matter movement, We've had a racist in chief and Donald Trump polarize everything. We've had the George Floyd protests last summer. This is a whole new generation at the front of the march for change. Major League Baseball and these other corporations are finally putting their fingers in the air and seeing which way the wind is blowing. They want to connect with this younger generation, not with voter suppression, backlash, and bigotry. Yes, times have changed. As anti-immigrant and anti-voting bills spread through other Republican-led state legislatures, Major League Baseball will have to decide which side it is on. Passivity will undoubtedly be met with action. Fans and a new generation of players are going to make it too expensive for owners to sit on the bench. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. 
Hey, everybody out there, this is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports Podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and, and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it, but we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. Now it's time for the part of the show we call Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down. The Just Stand Up Award this week goes absolutely positively with all my heart to Sakura Kokumai. This, If you don't know who Sakura Kokumai is, she qualified to compete in karate at the Tokyo Olympics later this summer. And she was on the phone with a friend while training in the park in Orange County, California, when a man began berating her. And he was berating her in highly bigoted, disgusting, racist terms. She recorded the bigotry and posted it with the statement, I didn't think it would happen to me. So what Sakura Kokomai was doing was be very public about the fact that she was a victim of anti-Asian racism at a time of a rising tide of anti-Asian violence and bigotry around the country. Of course, stoked horrifically by the right wing in this country. Now, it takes a lot of courage to be public about these things. And it also does so good in terms of raising awareness and making it clear that no one is protected, even if they're so red, white, and blue USA that they're going to be representing this country at the Olympics. So thank you, Sakura Kokumai. Thank you so much for being public. Thank you so much for being brave. And hopefully this will open the eyes of even more people that we have ourselves an epidemic in this country, an epidemic built on a foundation of anti-Asian racism and violence. Jeremy Lin tried to warn y'all and you didn't listen. The Just Sit Your Ass Down Award. Sit your ass down. Sit your ass down goes to Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, who in incredible disingenuous fashion is saying, what, these Georgia voting laws aren't racist? Show me one part where they're racist. Show me one line where they're racist. How are they possibly racist? In fact, they expand voting. Look, this is gaslighting being done by a racist. Yes, he's right that there's nothing in the voting laws that says if you are black, then you cannot vote. But there never were laws like that either during the period of Jim Crow. Um, most of these anti-voting laws that occurred under Jim Crow were, at least on the face of it, race-blind, but they were particularly designed to keep black people from voting, to keep poor people from voting. And sure enough, his bill, SB 202, is exactly that. Let's be clear about what Georgia's new voter suppression law does. It takes power away from local officials and allows the GOP to replace them with whatever scummy hack they want. A scummy hack whose job it would be to, in Trump's words, find the votes to overturn the results. In other words, if this law had been in place, Trump's illegal efforts to overturn the results in Georgia would have been a reality and would have been completely legal. Second, this racist bill makes voting inconvenient and uncomfortable in highly populated city centers. 
What's gotten the most publicity are laws preventing people from giving water out to people on lines to vote. Uh, what gets much less publicity than that is that it's been limited dramatically the ability to vote early. Uh, it's been limited dramatically the ability to mail in your vote. Uh, it's been limited dramatically in terms of the hours that people have to vote. And of course, this is going to make things profoundly more inconvenient for urban centers, profoundly more inconvenient for all working people, black, white, brown. But when you have a state as segregated as Georgia, uh, one of the things that they're able to do is now just make things horrifically difficult for urban areas that are overwhelmingly black, overwhelmingly brown. And I think people have to take this into consideration, like just this is Jim Crow 2.0. That's what this is. And Major League Baseball, I know they're moving upset some people in Georgia, like Stacey Abrams, who want to keep the business in Georgia. And I understand that why every politician, Raphael Warnock, John Ossoff, Stacey Abrams, uh, Keisha Bottoms, I, I know why they're all saying they wish Major League Baseball had stayed, because you have to say that if you're a politician in Georgia. But at the same time, fault has to go not with Major League Baseball, but with Brian Kemp for pushing laws like this. And, you know, they're attempting to, to portray baseball as if it's some kind of woke mob when the reality is that there's only one mob uh, doing their business, their dirty business in Georgia right now. And it's a white nationalist mob and they're represented by Brian Kemp. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's show. Thank you so much to the Cobra, Dave Parker. Thank you so much to Dave Jordan, who co-wrote this amazing book, Cobra, A Life of Baseball and Brotherhood, with Dave Parker. Thank you so much to my producer, Dave Tigaboo. Thank you to everybody out there listening to the show, sending us feedback. It's really appreciated. For everybody out there listening, please, please, please wear a mask, stay frosty, get vaccinated. We are out of here. Peace. Peace.